0: Steve is a third generation owner and chief executive officer of Yale Appliance and Lighting based in Boston, Massachusetts. He quite literally went from the bottom to the top from putting away boxes, wire and piping in the basement of his father's store to cleaning the light fixtures on the ceiling. Steve has a simple goal. He wants Yale to be the best retail experience anywhere. He attended the A.B. Freeman School of Business at Tulane University. Steve Scheinkopf, welcome into the corner office. Good. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Great to have you here. Well, we like to start hearing a little bit about the early years. You know, where'd you grow up and, you know, what was your family life like?
1: Well, I grew up, uh, I grew up in a suburb of Boston in uh, Needham, Massachusetts. I am uh, one of three. I have two, uh, two sisters. I'm the middle child. Uh Uh, um, You know, we, um, we all worked at Yale. I started when I was seven. Wow. And uh, you know, that was the cleaning and light fixtures. The period. That was like,
0: <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. And your parents obviously had a pretty big role, obviously, in your upbringing. Mom and Dad. Uh, tell me a little bit about them. Did Dad find the found the business?
1: Um, no, it was actually um, it was started in 1923. And it was started, and um, my grandfather, and actually one of my best friends' grandparents, um, took it over. I think in the 30s. I think. Um, And then it was handed over to my dad and uncle. And then my dad and uncle became uh, me in 2003.
0: Wow, terrific. And how have your parents influenced you growing up? Obviously, work's played a major role, but what are some of the things that they taught you and what was important to them as they raised you and your sisters?
1: Well, I think education was very important to them. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, I, I think my father was a very hard worker. And I, I, I think he instilled that into all of us.
0: Both in terms of the hours he worked or also his
1: work ethic? Oh, I think he worked crazy hours um, and, and his work ethic. We're, we're, we're very different. I think my dad is analytically smarter than I am. <clears throat> I think I have a better um, kind of like, um, uh, for me, I, I think everything has got to be uh, team oriented. If you're going to build a company you got to have good people around you. He was more or less, um, you know, one really bright guy, and he didn't rely on too many other people.
0: Right. More of the sole uh, proprietor, getting things set up. Is, is dad still involved in the business?
1: Uh, no, not really. We, we talk about it on occasion, but he uh-huh. is, um, he's one of the few people I know that have been able to retire well.
0: <laughs> and enjoying it. Itself. Yeah,
1: exactly. You know, he has uh, a lot of outside interests. He's a competitive bridge player. He's a, he's a, uh, a good golfer. You know, he's a philanthropist. And um I, I think when you retire, although this this goes into many things, you, you have to have those outside interests because many times, you know, people just have nothing really to look forward to. And yeah, retirement it becomes out. just a it becomes just a, a waiting game, quite honestly.
0: Yeah. you mentioned your sisters were involved in the business. Are they still today?
1: No. My oldest sister, um my oldest sister moved out um and has lived in Nashville for I think thirty years. Okay. And my younger sister, um, you know, um, became a mother of two wonderful kids and, um, and she became a mother and, and now she, uh, flips house, flips houses with her husband.
0: Okay. Got it. So they exited the business early and yeah. you were the last man standing, so to speak. Pretty much. <laughs> who were, who or what were some of your other early influencers in your life growing up, particularly in those elementary middle school years?
1: Most of, most of really what most of the people, in, I was a. You know, I know education is a big part of what you'll ask me. I think, you know, most of the influences, I've always read history. And for me, um, I mean, I've I've kept right up to it up until the present day. And I always looked at different people and what they did well, um, certainly later in business books, as kind of early mentors. Without, you know, my dad played a big role. I was lucky to have, you know, a couple of people – who who took time to teach me here as well. One of them runs a phenomenally successful furniture store. And I had a guy who uh, used to run a buying co-op who was very analytical and and, and just a wonderful guy who who taught me as well. So I would say those two, but basically doing a lot of reading to find out who I wanted to be when I kind of grew up, grew into this role
0: yeah cool were they uh people that you met through your dad were they folks that were outside suppliers or vendors or just people that you met in the community
1: well uh one of them was uh was in the um was in the appliance business uh-huh. and the other one is just was just so phenomenally successful. I just happened to call a secretary and ask for a meeting and um we' became friendly ever since you know i i became a, a camp counselor in his camp you know for for awesome. uh kids with pediatric aids for like four years Wow.
0: Cool. What age was that? Was that during high school or junior high?
1: That was actually when I was 46. <laughs> okay. All right. Not too long ago. <laughs> you know, he said to me, he goes, uh, you know, he took, a, he took a phone call and, and he, ate, he told me about this camp. And I said, well, if you need somebody, you know, I'd be happy to, um, you know, I, I'd be happy to help you. It was a one week sleepover for, for kids that really look forward to it. He called me up and he goes, we're really going really to need you. And, I, and I, was, I hung up the phone. I'm thinking, what kind of. <laughs> what kind of, what kind of <laughs> what just, I get myself <laughs> I'm like, who could possibly need me that bad? But it was, a, it was, it was a wonderful experience. Ah, really awesome. wonderful experience.
0: Awesome. Well, back to your earlier years, tell us about your student life. Were you a good student in school, kind of middle of the road, uh, struggling?
1: Well, you know, you know, it's funny Is uh, you look at, uh, you know, I'd love to say I was an all-A student, but I, I have to tell you the truth. And um, I was really, I was a really good student on the things that I liked.
0: that's very common. I
1: was, I was a good, I was a great history student. I was a very good English student and I just absolutely did not get math. To this day, I think I'm the only one in Edom High history to go from level one math being the best, like AP math to level two math to level four math in (laughs) in a matter of like six weeks. So I went from the, once again, from the uh, top to the bottom in just a matter of. Six weeks, I just couldn't understand how algebra was going to help me in my real life. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think obviously math, you know, for engineering and, 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 and all this thing is, is, is so critically important. I, I wish I had given a better effort in the things I wasn't good at, you know, right. sciences and, and math. But I was more of a English history um, type of person, liberal arts type of person.
0: Studied any languages at all? Was that part of your uh, repertoire?
1: Um, actually, I took Latin. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't really much conversing in Latin. I was <laughs> I didn't go to the Vatican until I was like 45, but even then it was, it was way too late.
0: What about outside of class? Uh, you know, sports, music, theater, and that anything in that realm?
1: Sure. I, I, um, I used to play a lot of racquetball. Yep. Um, I've run 10 marathons, done a lot of wow.
0: road races, including the Boston marathon. I presume
1: I did Boston seven times. Yeah. Okay. And Boston's a great marathon. So is Chicago, so is New York. Uh, Marine Corps in Washington is is another great marathon to run, too. So I've always stayed physically fit. I've always read a lot as well. Um, You know, I I, I like, you know, certainly food and wine and that type of thing, too.
0: What about entrepreneurial things when you were younger? I mean, obviously, Dad put you to work, it sounds like, at a very early age. But were there other things you did? Paper routes, uh, Christmas sales, car washes, those types of things?
1: I was always kind of busy working at Yale. which is good insofar as it, it set me up for what I did now, and it's also sure. bad because I think it, I, I think what I've done is I, I've tried to educate myself and hire people from outside the industry mm. to be in our industry. Yeah, because really, I mean, the way I see it and the way other people see it is is totally different, and that's good. I mean, as long as you know the 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 vitals are there, you know the the financials are there, and that you build from that kind of cornerstone of Ethics and, and, and financials, you're fine. But um, if entrepreneurial means, you know, working for your future job, then that's pretty much what I did.
0: You know, it's interesting that you say about hiring people from the outside. We also find that very true in our recruiting business. That looking at parallel industries, you know, provided you've got the qualifications right, you know, a CFO has got to be a CPA. But finding people that have had experience in other industries. Uh, can be a real uh godsend to companies that are looking to change and are looking for new ways of doing things is that kind of part of your philosophy and why you like to bring people in th- from outside of retail
1: it's funny because i um my best people some of my best people like um our director of sales was a caterer wow and um and the director of operations came from like um from the i t industry um of um of a um men's uh, uh, of a men's warehouse, not men's warehouse, but they, um, you know, one of those boot supplier type places. Um, you know, for me in the appliance business, I don't think anybody's going into it. You know, restaurants have a reputation of, of, of coming in and burning out. They're like the kamikazes of business, <laughs> but nobody's really opened appliance stores really that much. Um, so I really don't have that much of a A pool to draw from. To
0: draw from, anyway, right?
1: So, really, the way I've always phrased it with high-level people would be: we're in the lifestyle business and the logistics business, and we happen to sell appliances. Yeah. So we've been able to get good people. Um, Obviously, you have to you have to work from their viewpoint of you know benefits, 401 k matching, kind of profit share, competitive salary, and good work environment. But as long as you do that, I I, I think basically a, a company is a company, really.
0: So you went on to college. Uh, did yep. Dad and Mom also get their university degree?
1: Yeah, Dad, and Mom went to BU. Um, okay. as did Grandpa. Um, wow. Okay, so had all, history there. Yeah, they all actually lived in the same town, Brookline. Um, so yeah, I, I went to Tulane because I knew I was coming back, and right. Uh, quite honestly, um, I mean, you know, this is, <laughs> you know, the college application process wasn't um, wasn't easy because I always wanted to go to Emory, and I visited and didn't like it. Uh-huh. So I had to like I had to like scramble to figure out where I wanted to go next, and I figured New Orleans was as good as place as any. <laughs> oh, it's pretty far from home. And knowing and knowing that I would be coming back, but New Orleans is a wonderful, wonderful oh,
0: place to visit. Tulane's a great school as well. Did you pick business because you knew you were going to be in business, or you know, tell us a little bit about your decision behind picking a major?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I I, I took um, I took the business classes um because I thought I needed them. And, but, but quite honestly, they, they really weren't relevant. You know, marketing has never really been relevant, even the way it's taught now. Um, but I loved history as soon as I, as soon as I could get out of the business school and satisfy my majors, I'd go to history. Um, know, I took some wonderful classes about the world as other people saw us, you know, um, classes like Caribbean revolutions and, you know, Spanish civil wars and that type of stuff. I really, um, I really enjoyed that aspect of college.
0: What were some of the key lessons you think you, you took away from some of those, uh, some of that curriculum that was outside of the business realm?
1: Well, I, I think that basically when you look at, um, when you look at history, it's, it's taught by those who won it, not by those who didn't. (laughs) That's true. And if you go to like places like the Philippines, Vietnam, they have a totally different reality. Um, than 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 we do, but it it all, it all serves I mean you know the you know the mistakes that were made years and years and years ago leadership mistakes um, you know you can read about those um, and they're relevant even now of what it's like when you you know when you lack humility or get you know bad leaders or or um, um, you don't serve your people or you don't serve your customers
0: you know. Right. Now, did you work when you were down at Tulane? Whether it was there other uh, jobs that you took, or were you pretty much a full time student and you know came home on breaks?
1: I was a full time student, and every break I had, I uh, went back to uh, went back to work. Yeah, I did some mod stuff, but nothing really to to speak of.
0: So, no big surprise. The first job you had out of college was back at Yale. What dad was still CEO, I presume at that time. Yeah, I was... uh, what did you step into when you first came back out?
1: Well, basically, what I did was what I thought. I should do, which is I got into, um, I got into sales and, Mm -hmm. you know, my whole goal was to, um, was to grow a business. And for me, that was like growing the top line. And, and, and that's a, um, that's a, that's a good recipe for, um, disaster really, because (laughs) I mean, of a different kind of, you know, there's, we, I've been lucky or unlucky, lucky or unlucky enough to live in very interesting times Um, in Boston. We had, you know, we had the Great Recession in 2007. Mm -hmm. We had a recession in 2001, but the one that killed Boston was 1990. Um, That destroyed the banking and everything else. But really when you're trying to grow sales, you have to answer the question, do you have the capacity for growth? And I think a lot of, uh, certainly a lot of people in the appliance business have never really answered that question. They want to grow sales. But they don't know. They don't have the foundation of, of of customer service, of delivery, of technical support, and everything else that that will really grow your business. Because you can't really grow the top, especially now when social media will will absolutely, you know, if you have, if you say you're great, and the experience is different nowadays. It's, <laughs> nowadays, nowadays it'll kill you. But back then, it, it 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 still hurt. You know, word of mouth still hurts. So. Really, I became the first customer service rep of the business, and that was a that was a horrible job.
0: <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> Did you report to Dad, or were there some other folks we, that, at, uh, at that point you worked in time, for? We,
1: At that point in time, we didn't talk. Um, <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, but um, no, I, I I'm being facetious, obviously, but um, <laughs> I saw the business is, is is you know the easy stuff is like sales. The hard thing is what you actually take home, which really has to be measured more than obviously sales. Anybody listening to this will know that. But um, for me, it was—I uh, I grew the repair business, I grew the customer service business, and you know, and having done that, I have a profound respect for it. It doesn't show up on financials, right? But it can be monetized with the opportunities you're able to get because of it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Even well, I I I blundered into that. Now, now it's like you've got to have good customer service, or or your 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 reputation and brand is going to suffer for it.
0: You will make history. Oh yeah. And it'll be a footnote. (laughs)
1: Bad history, right? So, did
0: you have people responsibilities early on? Did that take a few years? Tell us about kind of moving into management.
1: Well, the funny thing is 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 basically. I was given a lot of latitude, Mm -hmm. which is good and bad because I I think um, there wasn't any active mentoring back then. Not to say my dad wasn't a a good mentor, he was, but I was going down a path that no one else was going. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. You were creating new territory. I was creating
1: new territory. So I was in charge of really a a whole scope of things of new warehousing and new everything that had to do with the operation side of the business. And although I'd like to say I'm good at it, um, I'm far better on the sales and marketing and a side than I was in the operation side. Um, But having done that, I understand it. It's not not important as a CEO to know the nuts and bolts of everything. It's important to have a good general viewpoint of everything. And it's good to know when people aren't doing the job that you, that having Having done it was like the worst and best thing I could have done because it was a lot, you know, it was a seven day week, six or seven day a week, three night gig. And it was just, it was very tough at that time.
0: When did you first start managing people directly then? Was that in the next job or did you grow out a customer service department?
1: No, I, I was in sales and I was kind of doing a little bit of a lot of everything. Um, So i I pretty much... I pretty much started managing as soon as I got out of college, which is another recipe for real disaster. <laughs> you know, because really, uh, I mean, the the evolution of, of, of really management is is being totally transparent, where people can where people can manage themselves. Back then, it was about me telling you what to do. Now it's now it's you basically knowing what to do, and me giving you the tools to be able to do it. What were some of those early leadership lessons? <laughs> God, I—I I mean, I—I'm I, proud to say that if there was a mistake in managing people, I probably made it. <laughs> you know, I—I—I'm I, sure there's profound examples, but um, it, it's everything. It's—it's it's from hiring the wrong people to hiring the right people and putting them in wrong positions, to hiring the right people and not giving them the right opportunities, to giving the right opportunities to the wrong people, and—and and that's really what it comes down to. I mean. We're all basically in the same business. We're in the people, and then service or product business. And if you get that first part wrong, you're probably going to get the next parts wrong too. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: it sounds like a lot of trial and error. How did you kind of then evolve your leadership style? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, you know, it's
0: it's funny. You still have a company, right? I mean, you know, so there had to be some successes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. Last time I checked. (laughs) Although you may, you may put this under your cautionary tale recordings. Um, But basically, you know what I, I did is I went back to what I was good at was reading and figuring out who I wanted to be from the people I actually respected. And it, it could have been, you know, a figure in history. It could have been, I read a lot of, you know, those one minute manager types, the energy bus, you know, fish about how to make, how to make the business better i mean we sell appliances with sounds it doesn't sound like the best job but you can make it the best job if if the guy in the seattle fish market can make shucking fish good then i could certainly make selling appliances <laughs> as good if not better and that's what we focused on and what's what i focused on in, environment and being the type of person i wanted to work for and that took a lot of time but really what you want what i think you want to do is first is, is, is you want to build a team. And I, I think William Sheridan said it the best when he was had an interview with the New York times, when he said, when he said that was the hardest part of what he ever did. And the reporter goes, well, how long does it take to, uh, to, to, to make a really good team? And he goes 37 years. And I-
0: <laughs> He wasn't done yet.
1: <laughs> and the guy, the guy goes, the reporter said to him, goes, 37 years, why'd it take so long? And his answer was, because that's how long it takes. Yeah. And it only took me about 23.
0: (laughs) I love that. And, you know, obviously you've been able to surround yourself with some good people. Do you have a fairly standard, you know, kind of executive team where you've got folks that report to you that kind of go down the line? Or is it a pretty flat organization at
1: Yale? I don't like bureaucracy. I don't like, I, I think the farther we get away from the people that are buying our stuff, the worse it gets. So it's a flat organization. It's, it's really a flat organization, even though you know, there's 175 people working here. Um, and communications always is always an issue. Um, there's enough technology out there for us to be able to communicate properly. That said, that we, I have two direct reports, one in sales and one in uh, operations. And I have one in marketing as well. I, I, I'm in the marketing department
0: yeah, it sounds like it. The customer service kind of evolved to that over time, I yeah. presume.
1: and and customer service falls under operations. So and marketing falls under operations kind of and sales. Um, so so basically we 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 live to serve you know our associates and our and our uh, and our customers.
0: So everybody else is is under those two or three folks pretty much.
1: pretty much. and then and then under that you have a layer of supervisors. We have a supervisor of fleet, supervisor of customer service. Supervisor technicians, um, uh, a director of uh, customer support. And then under that we'll have the concierge support team and their managers. So there's probably about 10 or 12 managers.
0: Yeah. How do you decide when it's time to micromanage someone and when it's time to kind of stay out of their sandbox?
1: Well, typically, you know the more you put things under numbers, the better off you are. And the better off the person is. The more transparent you are.
0: When you say putting on numbers, like having metrics to specifically measure their results?
1: Having what they call KPIs, key performing right. indexes. I mean, the more you take the emotion out of it, the better off you are. Right. Um, and what we try to do is we review KPIs. And I don't micromanage anybody. I, it's funny because someone asked me my style. Someone asked me my, my leadership style. So I, I, um, I'm in marketing and I kind of report to the marketing person it's it's kind of a bizarre relationship um, because I come up with most of the content in the company and it's his job to deploy it and I work with our videographer and so I asked him he's like a 24 year old guy totally different from me you know hipster guy I said how would I said to him just out of curiosity how would you um, how would you uh, paraphrase my my management style he goes well I'd call it uh, laid back with expectations, <laughs> and, that, and that's what how it is. How millennial? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, I, I and it's funny because I, I treat millennial. We have people for anywhere from 22 not including interns, from really twenty-two to sixty-two working yeah. here, and everybody talks about when you when you read about it. I mean, how do you treat a millennial? How do you treat a Generation X? How do you treat a Generation Y? How do you treat a baby boomer, a late baby boomer? And, and for me, it's, it's about being transparent, not lying to that person and, and giving them, and giving them their goals and expectations. And when they don't meet those goals, let's have a chat about it. Maybe I'm not giving you the tools. Maybe the systems and processes are such where you can't do what I'm asking you to do. So maybe it's my fault or maybe it's the wrong person or maybe the expectations, but there's, there's gotta be a, you, you build it from, you build it from the financials and then you build it back down from there. Right. So if you're in sales, sales is easy um, because it's all about, you know, sales goals and profitability goals. And we've made that for technicians too. Um, where, you know, we have 30, we have 30 techs on the road. Each one of them has their own P and L.
0: So, so everybody has KPIs in the organization, right on down to the first level salesman.
1: Everybody has to, you know, for delivery guys, it's 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 a combination of not damaging stuff, yeah.
0: Cus, um, uh, N- customer satisfaction, or on time delivery.
1: N- NPS is a big one, um, and uh, not workman's comp issues. And it's funny, it's funny, you know, um, the previous guy because I was out as a CEO for a couple of years, and the guy who took over for me. Um, didn't believe in any of that stuff, and we had uh, the year I retook over the company. We had four hundred eighteen thousand dollars worth of workman's comp claims. When we made it part of the KPIs, the workman's comp claims are, are are basically zero, or 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 you know we'll have some real injuries. I mean, as of like you know, kind of like a uh, minor stuff, but nothing like you know, someone who takes the summer off or, or something like that. So everybody has KPIs and there's something in it for them in terms of, you know, uh, once they meet their goals, if we have profit share at the end of that as well in 401k match. So there's something in it for everybody.
0: What are your thoughts on the importance of building a company culture,
1: Steve? Well, I think it's huge and it's really hard to do um, because for that, you have to be prepared to, to, Fire or let go somebody who doesn't fit that culture, and the culture has nothing to do with with a, a certain type of person. It has to or do. It with,
0: may not even be due to performance, right?
1: No, I, I had to let go our second best salesman uh, two years ago because he was brutal to customers and his fellow staff. And it's just, you know, it, it, it's it's funny because people describe those people as cancer. In many organizations, they let them kind of ruminate yeah. and 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 kind of tolerate it. And I've always thought that. You know, if it was real cancer and really in your body, I mean, you probably you'd probably take it out, and that's <laughs> you want to cut it out, right? And, and it's funny because that that energy that that you have to discipline and and, and everything else just goes away with that person, and and it, and it and, and it sets the right example to other people that that certain behaviors won't be tolerated, and you mean what you say.
0: Has the culture changed a bit since from the time Dad was CEO until you running it today?
1: Yeah, I I think Dad was. Dad was more interested in actually, um, um, he wasn't, I mean, my father was a very, very fair, very generous guy. And, and there's a downside to that because I think when you, when you talk about being generous and fair to people that don't meet goals, you create entitlements.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: I've been able to create better benefits than he has with greater discipline. So everybody benefits, um, and and that's one thing. It's just you have to be fair to everybody, and KPA is a part of it. And being fair, being fair means you got to be fair to the organization. and You got to be fair to the individual.
0: Well, and I think it also makes uh, you know taking tough choices, uh, like taking out the number two salesman, if uh, you know there's abuse, you know, abusiveness there, or uh, you know. Hitting the numbers, but not necessarily conforming to the type of, uh, you know, uh, employment atmosphere that you want.
1: Yeah, And, and, and my, my director of operations always believes that, you know, the, the rank and file will always know more than you will. And that, that may or may not be the case, but everybody's always looking at that example. If that example is tolerated, then there is no culture that says it's not tolerated. So you have to be really consistent. And, and as I've always said, I, I think building, going from that kind of single proprietorship to being somewhat successful, say at 30 million, making that jump to 50 and then 100 and then 115 or whatever it is, it's really hard because the organization always has to change with it. And, and oftentimes, people are one step behind it instead of one step ahead of it. And that's really the hard part. I, I, I mean, shrinking and, and not having, going through recessions is hard. Growing profitably sometimes can be harder. What would
0: you say is most unusual or unique about Yale's culture?
1: Well, certainly in our industry, there there, there isn't really anything like it. What I've tried to make it is kind of like a startup culture um, where I think, I think what's unique about us is everybody else has figured out, certainly a lot of my competitors have figured out, there's a direct correlation between sales and profits. And I think always salespeople get, it's kind of like, there's a restaurant, a restaurateur in New York, I forgot his name, where he took tipping out. He's uh, one of the best restaurateurs in the world because he figured out the waiters are making proportionally way more than, than the chefs the bus boys and everybody else that makes that organization an organization right so what we've done here is certainly sales and it's a tough job they make their money but what we've tried to figure out is how's that ace customer service person how are they going to make you know 60 how 80 90 grand um, that sort of thing we have more of an organization more of a culture on the backside you know typically a lot of the people in the blinds business you know, the salespeople are really the salespeople are good they get compensated really well but there's nothing behind it um, and as I know from really bad experience is 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 that's a trapdoor where you're never gonna grow with that uh, with, with that kind of um, structure it's just it's like building a building on a really small foundation <laughs> all you're gonna get is a small building
0: it's just yeah, the way it is right right. Talk a little bit about hiring. What, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in? Well,
1: it depends on who you're hiring for. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky to be in the appliance business, right? So I can make anybody I can make anybody into a role, um, certainly an appliance salesperson. I can make anybody into a customer service person. So it's not like I'm going out looking for nuclear engineers where if I hire one, and you know, train them for like six weeks and have them build a nuclear reactor. It's not good for the world. Um, but really, what I'm looking for is a work ethic, and uh, I'm looking for a ethic period, in a person in a personality type. Um, we can make somebody into the into that role. What I can't give them is the ability to work hard and work well with others and have good ethics
0: how do you interview and hire? Are you involved in that uh, for people beyond kind of your direct uh, reports?
1: I used to be a lot more involved than I am now on, on certain people on, on really key hires I'm involved. And what I'll do is, 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 is basically I'll take their resume and flip it around. Like if someone says to me, like, you know, they built a company from three to 115 million. The question is how, Okay take what they say and flip it around as a question. It's okay. This is what you said you did. How did you do it? What were the process you take it? And then what I'll do is I'll do something that a lot of interviews have a hard time with is to just not say another word until they're finished. Because after the answer question, it's what comes next. That's kind of important. How so?
0: Give me an example of that.
1: Like, it's like, it's like when people answer a question, They'll add a bunch of stuff onto that answer <laughs> that, that may or may not be relevant, but will give you insight into what it is they're actually, what they actually can be capable of doing.
0: Or their character.
1: Or the character. So, so that's what I'll do is, is I'll make it a conversation, not a formal, I won't sit down and throw three people in front of them and, and you know, wear my you know, business suit and not crack a smile, because that's not the work environment they're going into. The work environment they're going into is is kind of a conversational type of relationship with staff and customers. So that's what you want to see if they can do.
0: Other than the how-to question, which is a real good one, we use that a lot when we interview executives as well. You know, what's another? You know, maybe a. Three to five minute kind of interview type of question you would ask. You know, if you really wanted to get to the core, it's not a direct report, but maybe it's a top salesperson, or maybe it's someone that's coming in for a new account. You know, if you only had to ask them one or two things, what would that be? What would you focus in on?
1: Well, salespeople, uh, salespeople, I don't, I don't hire as much, and it's it's really interesting because we're 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 going back and doing something that's kind of odd for salespeople. Now that you mention it is we're hiring people. The people that we seem, that seem to be successful with us are the over 50 crowd. Hmm, Interesting. Which people don't hire because although they're not, although people aren't supposed to say this in big companies, they, they, um, part of the reason why they don't is, um, the medical, they have more medical issues and they, they, they tier you know, we have a wellness program and I believe in all that, but quite honestly, the, the, um, the medical insurers don't really care as much as what they see how your age skews and then make their bets based on that. Um, and really the questions that I'm going to ask people is putting them in the situation they find themselves in. What was your biggest problem? What was your nightmare? What was your nightmare scenario? I mean, what was your nightmare customer? What was your night? What was the thing that you learned from the most? What was the hardest thing that ever happened to you? Now they'll answer it two different ways. They answer it with some superficial kind of nonsense answer, you know that they haven't really handled a problem yet. And if they haven't handled a problem yet, depending on, on typically, although they're experienced, then you probably are not interested in that. And then you want a sense of transparency. You want to say, "Yeah, I messed that up because quite honestly, <laughs> quite honestly, they, everybody makes mistakes, you know And I just want to see how they answer that question.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good one because, again, if they've gone through a problem, then they should be able to give you some details. And what you're looking for is their thinking, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, it, it, the um, it, it's, it's funny. I used to live across the hall from a guy who was really high up with Arthur Anderson Consulting before his Accenture. And he used to give me some of the questions they asked, like, how many phone calls were made in a day? Or, you know, what if you had this vessel that turned water into oil? What would you do? And I'm like… <laughs> I mean, Jesus, I, I mean, I'm looking for a job selling software here, not selling oil. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I want to know from their personal experience
0: yeah.
1: um, what it is, what makes them tick. And, and that's, that's I've always found that to be a good question to ask.
0: Well, Steve, we're just about out of time, but we do have one last question we'd like to ask everyone. And, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone? You know, a lot of our listeners are in the middle market. Maybe they're middle management. Maybe they're on their way to the C-suite. But, you know, they've got their eyes on making history themselves. Uh, what would you say to someone, you know, kind of early career or mid-career in terms of, you know, their own journey to the corner office?
1: Okay. If you've listened this far, you may have <laughs> – there, there's, there, there, there's some things that – things don't always go as they planned. Um, you're going to make mistakes. The question is, is not like – the question is, is not whether you're going to make mistakes. The question is whether you're going to learn from it. The question is whether you're going to persevere. Um, and the bigger you build it, the more you need help. And if you're the smartest guy or girl in the room, something's wrong because no one can be the smartest in it sales, marketing, finance, accounting, uh, law, or whatever the problems that you have. And so really the, the what it comes down to is, do you have a vision that's good? And if, if it starts to fail, it's fine. Do you have the ability to change course? Do you have the ability to build a team and do you have the ability first and foremost to persevere? And that's the, that's the real thing. You know, I have had a, I'm going on my 32nd year here and not all of them were good.
0: (laughs) Sure. Sure.
1: (laughs) But, but I learned something from each and every one of them. And, and, and honestly, that bad job that I had in customer service for five to seven years gave me greater insights than all the good stuff I've done you know all the good, all the good years that came afterwards. so certainly have empathy for for the people in the line, understand who they are, and make sure that everybody in your organization's fairly compensated. Make everything about numbers and that way it doesn't have to be about emotions, and that way you don't everyone will see you coming.
0: yeah. Yeah. and well, like you said, you have to take some risks and make some mistakes, right? That's kind of how we grow. Yeah.
1: Boy, is it ever. Boy, <laughs> is it ever. <laughs> Steve Jackoff,
0: thank you so much. We've been really appreciated your journey. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.